South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. And if you dial quickly, <laughs> you'll get that last line. Looks like we're going to talk to Benny and Eva and Paul. are going to be my, my first three callers on this absolutely glorious Sunday morning out there. Uh, I uh, I don't I don't know how long this weather's going to last, and we certainly do need to add some rain in there somewhere. But looks like for the next few days we're going to continue to have very very spring-like weather. Going to be a great day to plant those tomato plants, but do be prepared to protect them if uh, we have that late cold. Oh golly, there's so many things to talk about, but most important is what you want to talk about. So let's get started with phone calls, and first in line is Benny. Good morning, Benny. Good morning, Bob. Uh, just by way of introduction, I'll let you know that uh, I live with the famous Faye, who calls you frequently down here uh, <laughs> south of Houston. Yeah, very and, good. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, actually, I've met you years ago in the store. But uh, anyway, uh, I just wanted to ask you, uh, we, um, we're cleaning up our place uh, down here, and in the meantime, we bought a travel trailer and moved it to an R- a nearby RV park. Yeah, well, that sounds like fun. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> well, it, well, until we find out that uh, the owner of the RV park is going to uh, put out weed and feed. Next oh, goodness. Week. I know. And so we're just wondering, um, what what can we, is there something we could do to mitigate that somewhat if we need to? And then also, what would be an alternative to weed and feed? Well, you can tell them, first of all, it's too late for weed and feed. Um, the weed and feed products tend to contain pre-emergent herbicides, that, uh, and the weeds have already sprouted. So you're just putting down poison without accomplishing anything with it. And um, is, are there large grassy areas around the park? Where is he, where is he going to be putting this toxic stuff down? Yeah, there are lots of grass areas, and as a matter of fact, where we are, the space that we are is the largest, and we have a almost a front yard, but it's just grass, you know. Well, and, you know, I I would encourage fertilizing separately from going after weeds, and uh, um, you, you almost have to deal with the weeds specifically depending on what the weed is. He's not going to accomplish that much with the project with the product he is going to be putting out things that are very bad for people's pets and things like that if anything i would tell him uh that you want to just rope off your front yard and you'll put out your own fertilizer and take care of your own weeds and um, i've done that i've done that but uh he said no he's got to do the whole park because he prides himself on how pretty it looks the grass and everything so i know it's I anyway. yeah, mitigating spraying, you know, every couple of weeks with molasses, with garret juice, products like that will um and, and thank God the stuff they put in weed and feed, even though it's quite toxic, it does break down with time and uh, microbial activity. So anything you do to increase the microbial activity is going to uh you know, going to help get it out of the system more quickly. Uh, if you wanted to go one step further, you could get an uh, powdered charcoal or biochar or something like that. That will help chelate it. It'll help tie it up to where it's not, you know, active in the environment. And uh, 
Uh, spraying with Medina products. Medina Plus, uh, they use this to clean up oil spills. They use it. Uh, Stuart used a, a similar product that he made. Uh, he's the owner of Medina. Uh, they employed him in old Russia to clean up uh, a very toxic uh, chemical spill. He worked in a spot in China where they had a pesticide factory blow, blew up and contaminated several hundred acres. They said it would be years before people could uh, garden in it again, and he got it back in production within six months. So uh, products like his soil activator and his Medina Plus will also help uh, break it down. So I think those three things, I'd almost alternate them, or for that matter, you could mix them, but the, the Medina Plus, the Garrett Juice, um, and molasses, and you can have molasses to anything and make it a better product. Those are the things that are going to break it down most quickly in the environment. Okay, so with the molasses, you would spray it? You would put with it in all the of them, I would spray them. Yeah, with all of them, oh, I'd spray okay. it. Uh, in fact, all okay. of them, you're going to use them about an ounce per gallon. And really, wouldn't be anything wrong with mixing all three of them together and spraying them at one time. Okay, well, that that sounds good. I kind of had an idea that's what you might say, but it's good to hear it from you. <laughs> do, you uh, do you have pets? Do you have dogs especially? Not here. We don't have okay. them here. Okay. They're over at the other place where we've well, been organic for decades. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good thing. Uh, if you bring them over to your new place, <laughs> I know it depends on the dogs. We have a, uh, a young puppy in our lives for the first time in a while. And, uh, you know, it's puppies are... <laughs> puppies are an experience uh but you can actually get and i've seen dogs wearing them little little boots little shoes uh that's the reason that pets get cancer so much more often than people do is because they're running around on this stuff and they're absorbing it through the pads on their feet Mm -hmm. so um that's one thing you can do to reduce their exposure when they join you at the at your new location but uh in the meantime i and the principal things i would do are the liquids and i mean you can spray once a week and you know what's going to be the funny thing about this is you're going to have the greenest and prettiest grass in the whole park and then maybe you <laughs> can course. convince him that your way is better well i don't know how long we'll be here you know but sure. uh any anyway but that's that's good good to know really good well, it's a pleasure visiting with you, and you call me again anytime I can help you. Well, thank you so much, Bob. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye-bye. All right. Eva is next. Good morning, Eva, or Eva. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. It's either way, Bob. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. It's a beautiful morning out there, and uh, as oh. I was just discussing with our, with my engineer, I think we'd, we'd both rather be out fishing or walking, but we're happy to be here for you, so uh it's nice to have a, a nice day, and it's nice to have a, a nice garden to look out over as I talk to you. Absolutely. Well, after I get through with my questions, we're going to head over to the golf course and enjoy this beautiful weather. <laughs> yeah, go for it. It's going to last yes. a while, but it's going to get hot before we know it. And then, uh, I don't know. I, I, I enjoy all the weather, but I sure enjoy this kind of weather more than either too hot or too cold. So We do too, day. Bob. You know, you take advantage of every day. But before I, I have two questions, but I okay. wanted to tell you that my husband and I, I listen to your show whenever we're home on weekends. And I, I just that. love how you are so patient with your colors. Everybody yeah. that calls you, you're patient, whether the question is 
uh, random or specific. <laughs> you, uh, we just love your delivery and your knowledge. But well, I'll, I'll, then, I'll tell you what what I what goes through my mind every morning is that could have been my grandmother calling, and I'd want somebody to be nice to her. So. It just doesn't, it does, it's no more difficult to be nice to people than it is to be unpleasant. <laughs> Absolutely, so but you are just so kind and, and enjoy you. But let me get to my questions. I know you have other callers colors waiting. My husband has bought me these beautiful red, well, fuchsia roses for Valentine's. And you cannot believe they are still alive. 11 days later, but the weird thing is that every stem has new growth, and the the roses are still beautiful. Mm-hmm. Can I plant those stems and see if they can somehow become plants? Well, here's the thing. They, they won't do anything without getting roots on them, obviously. And you you have a you have a choice. Uh, you can't root a whole you know twelve or eighteen inch long stem. Uh, if you wanted to try to get cuttings to root, you would cut those stems in little pieces about three or four inches long, soak them in garret juice, and then put them in perlite to root. And probably at least some of them would take root. The other thing you can do is leave them in the water. And they may decide to root in the water. You know, Lord knows our grandmother, speaking of, rooted ivy in water and everything else in water. The thing you have to remember is that plants form a different kind of root in water than they do in soil. And you have to watch the bottom end of those roses. And as soon as you see roots appear, take them out and put them in soil so they can develop the proper kind of root system. Um, And if you decide to leave them in the water and see if they will root in water, once the blooms have faded and um, are no longer attractive, take your shears and go ahead and cut off the top half of those stems so they don't have as many leaves and things left that are transpiring the moisture. Cut them down to, you know, half their length. But leave them in the water, change the water every couple of days, uh, keep it fresh, and, uh, you know, they may very well root in the water. You just have to remember to take them out of water, put them in soil as soon as you see the first roots appear. So uh, there are two different ways that you have a good chance of, you know, making a producing rose bush out of that. And really there's no reason that uh, that rose bush should not grow for you throughout this part of the country. I mean, most of the roses that are coming in now are coming out of Mexico or even down into Venezuela but their climates are not that different. And uh, the roses, even though they may not be quite as floriferous as some of the newer hybrid knockouts and things like that, uh, and they may not, the blooms are probably not going to be quite as pretty uh, in South Texas as they were growing in the cool mountain air wherever wherever their production facilities are. But especially if the roses have sentimental value or anything, uh, do everything you can to make a plant out of it. Plant it your garden I will sun try, and, yeah. but... I've never seen that. Every single one, there's probably 18, and they all have new growth sort of in the middle. And every day I look at it, and there's more growth, and I they've never lasted more than a week and then <laughs> never had this. And so I just, I, I'm just perplexed with it. But I will do as you say. And my second question is, uh, I have huge 
two large pots. They're probably 24 inches in diameter. And I have knockout roses in each. And, of course, I've trimmed them. And I wanted to put top mulch on top. But my husband says that I should put compost in those knockout roses in lieu of the mulch. What is your um, uh, preferred (laughs) method to that? Compromise. Put compost on one and, and mulch on the other, and uh, that way everybody's happy, and you can see which one the roses do best. Mulch <laughs> is just—I mean, co- compost. Compost is just mulch has been around a while. When mulch breaks down, it makes compost. So okay. uh, you know, let's don't run into any family feuds here, especially for a guy that gave you roses. But uh, do one, and you know, do one each way, and you can take your own notes and see which way the uh, roses seem to do better. Both well, in that way, we could have a, a debate on our experiment. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole idea. Yep. Yes. Well, Bob, I thank you so much for both your uh, answers. And like I said, we completely enjoyed listening to you and your kindness to your listeners. And uh, yeah. we will call you again. Well, all of us at KTSA appreciate that. And you guys get out and enjoy this uh, beautiful weather. And let me know how you do on Rooting Your Roses. I surely will. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Eva. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Paul, hang on just a second. I have to get a break in here. I get to talk to you about Azomite, and I just love talking about Azomite because it is such a top-quality product, absolutely no negatives that I can think of, reasonably priced, easy to find in most good nurseries, two forms of powdered form, which is actually micronized to the point it can be put into suspension and sprayed, or the form that I use most, a little more granular form. Azomite does so much to provide micronutrients to your plants. I use it two ways, both in preparing beds, both flowers and vegetables. You know, work it, uh, put it on the soil, work it into the soil as you get ready to plant, and you'll be amazed at the results. If you have plants, especially plants that are yellowing, that just look like they need a little boost, put it on the soil around them, water it in. Azomite's a totally natural product. It's made from a natural ore source, I believe from Arizona, and it contains a huge number of micronutrients that your plants love. It's Azomite, A-Z-O-M-I-T-E. Look for it wherever fine garden products are sold. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening on a beautiful Sunday morning out there. It's going to be Paul and Clint and Gary. Paul's up first. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Bob. Hey, I morning. I forgot to ask you yesterday, um, what's your thoughts on the uh, southern wax myrtle for a screen shrub? Um, it depends on how tall you want it to go. Um, southern wax myrtle... In this area, it doesn't normally get over about four feet tall. And if you're looking for something really screening, I don't know that it would be big enough for you. Um, it's yeah, it's a good plant. It uh, adapts well once it's established. It's very water conservative. Um, I, nothing wrong with it. I just, I'm not sure it's going to get big enough to serve your purpose. Yeah, exactly right. I need about six. It can go as high as it wants. I, I definitely need six at least. So, Okay. That's what Is this uh, sh- shade or sun? All sun. All sun. Um, lots of choices. Uh, you know, we. I, I never know. We never know what the weather is going to do. Fastest growing shrub you could plant would be xylosma, but it has suffered with the extreme cold. Uh, totally cold hardy. 
there are several different hollies you might look at. The smaller-leafed Yopon holly probably is going to live for 100 years for you, and uh, it grows moderately quickly. If you want a denser, darker green, look at Foster's holly or Nellie Stevens holly. Uh, those would make a great, dense, evergreen hedge for you. And uh, like I say, you trade off a little bit of growth for having the additional cold hardiness. Uh, another possible good choice would be Japanese yew and uh, Y-E-W. And it's not poisonous. When people talk about how poisonous yew is, that's a northern yew, totally different genus, uh, uh, not in any way related to what we call Japanese yew. Those are all plants that uh, are going to make good screens for you that are going to get up to the height that you need if you are if you have room um is, is there a fence across this area already or are the the shrubs going to provide the barrier alone uh there's a chain link that i'll i'll plant them um you know yep. four or five feet off that chain link fence yeah if if you want instant results practically uh get some smaller pots of confederate jasmine they will grow to the top of a six-foot fence probably in three months' time. They'll give you wonderful fragrant flowers this spring. And they they will grow about two feet higher than whatever they're growing on. If you have a six-foot fence, you're going to have eight feet of screen. If you have a four-foot fence, you're going to have six feet of screen. And uh, this would be a good compromise if you, uh, if you want a higher-quality plant, uh, but you also want a little bit more immediate coverage, uh, uh, I wouldn't hesitate to plant the jasmine on the fence, plant your slower-growing shrubs in front of it, and uh, you can enjoy the jasmine and not even notice the fact that the shrubs are growing a little bit more slowly. Just one idea, one thought that uh, you might yeah. consider. That's a good idea. And so xylosol being the quickest, uh, the next quickest would be the Nellie Stevens or the Yopon? Uh, it's going to be about the same. Um, it, and that would be about the same as the Japanese U. Um, what I will tell you about uh, xylosma is we went 30 years without a problem, and then we had two winters cold enough to do some damage uh, out of three winters. So I <laughs> I don't know what to think about the weather. I'm, we can blame it on a hundred different things, but I think it just uh, you know weather patterns change and shift and. Uh, I don't think it's any significant environmental change, but, you know, we, we have dry periods and wet periods. We have cooler periods and hot periods, and that's been going on for quite a few million years, so uh, we're not going to change it. But uh, um, And, again, when I look at the price of everything these days, plants are one of the better values, and uh, especially if you go with a smaller five-gallon or something like that, it's going to grow in a hurry and uh, going to cost you less than uh, even a cheap dinner out would. So, um, I would, I'd think about replanting Xylosma, and we'd just take our chances with it. Yeah, I've got one, and and you're right. It took a hit, and I thought I lost it, and it it came back twice. So yeah, it's, it'll come back. But uh, okay, Bob, <laughs> thanks for the help. Well, it's always a pleasure. I appreciate the Paul uh, the uh, question, Paul. Uh, next in light is Clint. Good morning, Clint. Good morning. How's it going? Oh, it's going along, and it's a gorgeous day out there. How about you? Oh, same thing here. I can't wait to finish up my coffee and stuff and get going here. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, on yesterday's call, we talked about the uh, alkalinity and on oh, the pH test and stuff. Right, and I, right. I was going from memory, but I pulled uh, the previous year's report, and actually the alkalinity went up for some reason, even though I spread the sulfur. What in the world would cause that? 
every time um, you put groundwater out, you're putting out a higher pH water, and over time, that's going to raise the pH slightly. Um, rainwater, of course, comes down, actually comes down very slightly acidic, but close to neutral. Uh, but we simply, we live in alkaline country. We are sitting on top, even though you're in sand country, there's, uh, you know, alkaline material further down into the ground that gradually leaches its way up. And like I say, any time you're using well water or, or purchased water, uh, you can count on that water usually having a pH somewhere in the 8.3 to 8.6 range. And so over time, that's going to uh, change the alkalinity. It they're also, they're, believe it or not, there can be seasonal changes uh, during weather when your compost is actively breaking down, especially in the warm months and the right conditions, uh, producing more humic acids. Uh, the, that's actually going to suppress the pH, going to lower it. Uh, in the months where the microbes, at least that group of microbes, are less active, less humic acid being produced, the pH is going to rise slightly. And um, it's, you know, it, it, it's surprising, but uh, if you wanted to do an interesting experiment sometime and want to spend just a little money, go, uh, you know, take six soil samples from around your property, and you're going to find uh, varying pHs on all six of those. So it's kind of like temperature around the house and stuff. It wildly vary. Exactly. Exactly, and you've lived on that land for probably 20 or 30 years, but remember that land was used by humans for probably a couple of hundred years, and no telling what they did to it before it fell into your care. Right. Now, my report says I'm still uh, low on boron, so I, and I never did put any out, and I think Noe, I know he had mentioned to use 20-team, mule-team borax. Yeah, that's the cheapest uh, form of boron you could put out. Uh, if you're putting out azomite, uh, you're going to get some boron along with a lot of other things. But, uh, you know, you're you're looking at pennies to put out uh, the 40 mil team borax and it uh, um, doesn't have a lot of boron in it. But, you know, boron's a micronutrient. Plants don't need very much of it. Now I'm going to uh, water air all my trees on the uh, drip system, inline drip system today. Uh, the concentrate tank's about a gallon. How many tablespoons do you think a 20-mule tank should I put in that? Um, you know, I would put in a little bit at a time and be sure that it dissolves completely. You want it into solution, not into suspension. Uh, but per gallon, I'd start out with a couple of tablespoons and uh, no harm in adding a little bit more, but mix it in and, like I say, be sure it goes fully into solution. Don't don't dump a whole bunch of it in and then watch uh, half of it settle to the bottom. Oh, no, I was going to mix it up with some warm water and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'd start out with yeah. a couple of tablespoons, and if it seems to go into solution quickly, I might even double that. Two, two to four. Yeah. Now... I, um, I got a little bit of chelated copper. I was going to add to that cocktail mix this morning along with some of the uh, uh, Medina's uh, liquid humates. So mixing all yep. that should be okay, I would think. Yeah, it? go very, very lightly on your chelated copper. It can become very toxic both to you and to plants uh, if you get too much of it. It's one of those things that plants only need a very, very small amount of. So uh, very little of that goes into the mix. I got fine last year's calendar, but I think I only did two tablespoons and stuff, and it it did boost it, 
a bit, mm-hmm. so I'm going to probably half of that this time around. Yeah, I'd, I would do that because uh, it actually can become toxic to plants if you get it on too strong. Now, on that bo- uh, boron, that uh, company called Solubor, would that be a better product to get since it's more refined and concentrated? It, it'd be it'd be more concentrated product, better product? No, not necessarily. Any Anything that produces, releases boron in an ionic state that uh, can bond with the cation and you know things in the soil uh, is going to work fine and it just uh, you're going to get you know some surfactants and things in the 20 mil team uh, that you won't get in the other and who knows it might depending on uh, your soil it might help other things get and in, get into the soil and so um, there I, I would even think about you're going to do this over time you might use one one time and one the next but uh, I certainly would go with whatever's most cost-effective because, uh, like I say, you don't need very much of it. Do you carry the solubor? No. No, we have so little call for that that uh, um, I personally, of course, I'd somebody, not everybody is as serious about their gardening as you, and I would tend, for most people, I would recommend something like azomite because you're solving six problems at once or 20 problems at once instead of, you know, just dealing with one. So that's sort of a specialty product. And that's uh, the azomite best put out, I'm guessing, just before ahead of a rain. It It's not highly soluble. It's going to be the many different minerals and compounds in it are going to be released slowly over time. Remember, this is an ore that developed over, you know, eons. Uh, so it's not something that's really going to be dissolved or carried into the soil rapidly. So um, rainfall or not, it will, any kind of moisture will help get it into the soil. The microbes will work on it where it makes it available to your plants. But uh, uh, it's certainly not a water-soluble product. So rainfall is nice, but not necessary. Okay, so maybe I'll put that out today. How how many pounds per uh, tree would you recommend? Um, and what are you growing in the area that you're going to be putting it out? Oh, all kinds of fruit: uh, apples, pears, peaches, uh, avocados. If you could, if you could put out a pound per hundred square feet, that would be nice. If that's not in the budget, I go with a pound for every two hundred and fifty square feet. My my experience with it is compared to green sand, is it acts much faster, but it probably doesn't have as long a life in the soil. Something you're probably going to repeat every two or three years. So um, uh, it's up to you. You can put a little bit more on to begin with or and not follow it up as soon, but or you can put a little bit less on and just plan on doing it again a year or two down the road. Good deal. I appreciate your time. Good questions always from you, Clint. Always enjoy hearing from you. You get out and have a wonderful Sunday. Take care. Uh, all right, you too. Thank you. Gary, hang on just a second. Uh, you'll be up next, but right now, Looks like I get to talk about Fanuc's Nursery and Garden Center. And having known the Fanuc family for a lot of years and always been, uh, they're just good people, knowledgeable people, and it runs in the blood, so to speak. <laughs> Fourth generation of the Fanuc family now getting involved in the nursery over there. And considering they've been there for 85 years, you're dealing with a lot of knowledge. You're dealing with people that love helping other people and love plants. One reason I always have recommended Fanix for years and years, and this time of year, boy, they've got a lot of things going on. They 
They still have just a few more days, that 30% sale going on their house plants. So uh, if, you're, if you want to get by there, you may find some very interesting things. Um, you're also going to find they've got lots and lots of fruit trees. They're doing 20% off on Back to Nature products this weekend. And that includes the compost and the mulches and things like that. A lot of people love Back to Nature, and they do make good products. They make some of this cotton for compost around and uh, 20% well that can amount to a lot of savings if you're getting uh, if you're getting very much and of course they've just gotten in their first shipment of blooming roses they'll have lots more over the spring but if you want to get a head start and meet everybody else to them well you better get by this weekend and see lots of spring vegetables out there seed potatoes and of course the other things like the eco lithium-ion battery powered equipment and the uh, Traeger pellet grills and all the accessories. Lots of reasons to go to Fanex. They only close on major holidays. They are over on Home Green Road, just off South WW White, right where they've been for 85 years. Check them out online, Fanic, F-A-N-I-C-K, FanicNursery.com. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening, back to the phone lines. Uh, looks like we've got two Garys in there. One of them's up first, and it'll be Brian, and the second one in Mark. Good morning, Gary. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Bob, is this Bob? I've got a green thumb, Webster. <laughs> well, my definition of a green thumb, uh, considering the profession I'm in, it's uh, and this was in a funny little, little book of gardening definitions, but it defined it as a... Common conditions suffered by gardeners where the skin of the thumb develops a greenish hue as a result of handling large amounts of currency at nurseries. So, yeah, I'm I'm afraid I would fit that definition of a green thumb over the years. But uh, anyway, what's going on in your world today? Okay, I've overheard you use um, to some people about the usage of hydrogen peroxide right. on uh, plants on plants. And what I'm doing, I'm actually calling from South Alabama, and I listen okay. to your show on Sundays usually. Um, I've got a, a, three, a three-year-old Owari Satsuma, mm-hmm. a two-year-old Washington Naval, and a six-year-old Meyer Dwarf Meyer Lemon. Okay. And I've got some extra, uh, I've, come, I've come across some extra hydrogen peroxide, 3%. Mm-hmm. That that I want to try to use maybe as a foliar spray tool. Would that okay. be advisable? Well, you know, it comes down to what are you trying to accomplish, <clears throat> and do you have any problems? The uh, yeah. healthy healthy plants, their stems, their leaves, as well as their roots, are coated with beneficial microbes, uh, beneficial fungi, and beneficial bacteria. And when you spray with uh, with hydrogen peroxide. You're killing the good guys as well as you're killing the bad guys. So I I tend not to use, and, and it's a broad-spectrum product. It just happens to be, you know, a very beneficial broad-spectrum product in that it eliminates uh, a lot of different troublesome things. But um, if you use it, I don't, I guess what I'm saying is I wouldn't necessarily use it prophylactically. Uh, when you're doing things like, planting, although your soil is much better than ours, uh, it, it does something called flocculating the soil. It's a good thing to use when you're planting. If you're doing things like compost tea or if you even have a bucket that fertilizer has been sitting around in for a long time and you want to knock down the biofilm, it's good to use. If you have a water feature and you're troubled with algae, it's a great thing to use. 
you mentioned citrus, and there is a disease out there called citrus greening, uh, which is thought to be viral, and uh, hydrogen peroxide is the only thing out there that we've ever found that will control viruses, whether it's curly top in tomatoes or whether it's uh, rose rosette in roses or whether it's greening in citrus. Uh, and so it, it very definitely has a lot of uses, but because it kills a lot of beneficial life as well, um, I would be reluctant to use it or use it too often when you don't really have a reason to. It's like, you know, you're not going to go out and take penicillin on a daily basis uh, thinking you're going to prevent getting an infection. So I I guess that's a long answer to a short question, but uh, does that make sense to you? Yes, sir. Um, How about uh, through the ground, through the soil? No? Um, Same thing? It's it's a... It's the same thing. If your soil is especially hard, if you're in clay soil, it will work to loosen it a bit uh, pretty quickly. I personally think that long-term, slower action by products that support microbes like molasses, garret juice, things like that, are probably a better idea. But, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I've got bottles of hydrogen peroxide sitting there ready to be used. We we use it more in fountains and things like that, more to clean biofilms and things like that than we do to treat diseases. So uh, you've got a lot of it on hand. Uh, just be, you know, be cautious in where you use it. As long as you keep it tightly capped, uh, it'll last for years and years. Exposure to air, of course, it starts breaking down uh, more quickly. But um, uh, okay. It's not something you have to get used up in a hurry because it's going to go away. As long as it remains tightly capped, it actually remains very stable. It's when you expose it to air that uh, it starts, you know, converting from H2O2 to H2O plus oxygen. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, that yeah, that covers the bases. Then I think yeah, I'll just take second thoughts about that because. Why just why, like you said, take penicillin when I don't need it? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's ah. uh, it flatters me that you're listening and, and calling from Southern Alabama. You're I, I oh, envy yeah. you your soil. I envy you your magnolia trees and your azaleas and all the things that grow so easily for you that we struggle very much to grow. But uh, look forward to helping yeah. you anytime, any way we can. Those azaleas right now, I'm looking in my backyard, and some of them are starting to pop out right now because uh, we've had a little bit of cool weather just recently, but now the the blooms are just starting to pop with uh, with our 70-degree weather we're having. Well, I tell you, you can see why Southern Living made it uh, their home office and home headquarters there. You're true. in a beautiful part of the country, and uh, once again, appreciate you listening and calling this morning. All right. Thanks, Bob, for your help. You're sure welcome. Thank you. All right. Bye. 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 Next in line is Brian. Good morning, Brian. Uh, good morning, Bob. My question is, my neighbor uh, recently, well, not recently passed away, but he passed away about two years ago, mm-hmm. and he is a gardener, was a gardener, and he's got about a 3,000-square-foot garden, mm-hmm. uh, little concrete walls around it, and this hasn't been uh, taken care of for like two years. Uh-huh. And who's who's living there now, they're not going to be a gardener. But what can uh I suggest to them to put this garden in like a dormant state? It's overgrown with, you know, a lot of weeds right now, rescue grass and such. Mm-hmm. But and uh it, yeah, what do you think the long-term use? Look at 5 down, years down the road. 
Is is this likely to be in the hands of someone who want to go back to gardening? <clears throat> is this something that uh, even if these people don't uh, garden, would they enjoy turning it into a bocce ball court or a putting green or a, you know somewhere they can play croquet? Or is it going to be just an area that's uh, largely ignored? It's going to be largely ignored, and they're going to be interested in very, very low maintenance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're going to have weeds move in and grow. Um, ah, golly, uh, it would be nice to say plant it with a ground cover, plant it with a cover crop, but um, I would just say, you know, if, if if it's going to stay this way for the foreseeable future, uh, plant it with some kind of uh, low-maintenance grass because uh, – you're going to get weeds, you know, a good stand of grass will help outcompete the weeds, and it's going to, because it's probably very good soil if it was, you know, a garden, and the weeds are going to grow four feet tall, and they're going to be an issue to maintain. So I, the only other option would be to go out and cover it up with weed block or something, which I do not like the product, but it's what I use to suppress weeds in my own garden when I'm trying to expand it. So, um if they, you know, if they want to just cover it up with an inexpensive weed block of some sort, that's going to cut down on the problem with weeds. But uh, otherwise, it's just going to be a, you know, a, a maintenance issue, and it's just going to come down on how they're going to use it. Uh, again, if it were me, I'd say plant some grass and make a croquet court out of it. Or if they're golfers, you know, uh, get out there and plant a little tiff Bermuda, mow it regularly, and have all your friends over to practice putting or whatever. So it just it just depends on the people as what is most likely to be the long term use of the area. You could also you could ask them if you can lease her for a dollar a year and grow a garden over there yourself, <laughs> or ten dollars a oh. year, or ten percent of the vegetables. It seems like there might be a there might be a, a barter going on there somewhere. I was suggested by someone to put maybe a four to six inch layer of mulch over it. No, that's um, a fine once thing. Once it's been cleaned out. Yeah, that's a fine that, thing to do. That's a short term solution, uh, but no, that'd help the soil. That'd suppress the weeds. Uh, uh, that'd be a great idea. Um, uh, again, once again, it kind of comes down to how it's going to be used in the future. If you think somebody's going to go back to gardening there, that's an excellent thought. I'd say for maybe I like a two year plan. Yeah, I know they're not going to do any gardening this this season, and they're probably not going to be ready to do one by next season. Then, then mulch is probably the, better than any of my ideas. Then there's also a lot of the uh, little uh, metal trellises that the gardener was using to to train his tomatoes on. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'm going to just try to get rid of those by scrap, or you know, have some scrap metal person come by and pick it up. <laughs> Or or put it out on the street and say free free um, tomato cages or whatever, and I bet most of it will disappear okay. before you have to call a scrap company. Okay, that's of course, a good if idea, it was Bob. if it was me, I'd pick the rest and pick out what I could use first of all, and then put the rest out. But uh, anyway, hope that helps you. Thank you very much, Bob. It sure will. You're sure welcome. Thank you for the call. Better get my last break of the hour in here, and I get to talk about Wild Birds Unlimited, and what a pleasure that is. Golly, I'm, I'm out there all the time, and I always enjoy visiting with Kyle and all his staff. Bunch of nice people, very, very knowledgeable people in there. If you've got a question about nature or specifically about birding, 
You're never going to find a better answer that's very applicable to this area. If you're looking for products that are, oh, both economical, that are extremely good, they just do it right. They understand birds. They have uh, the different blends that birds would need to eat different times of year. Uh, they, hey, they can tell you what will attract the songbirds, but keep the doves away. They have things that are pretty much squirrel-proof and raccoon-proof. Uh, Wild Birds Unlimited is just a store staffed by people who know products and who have the very best. Bird, seeders, bird feeders, many of which carry a lifetime guarantee. Plus, it's a great gift store. They have lots of beautiful things for your yard, from statuary to bird bath, to wind catchers to wind chimes. You will enjoy going through Wild Birds Unlimited, and it's a great place to shop for your gardening friends and your people who love the outdoors uh, shop for the holiday season. That's where I do a lot of my gift shopping. Get by and see them. They've been there quite a while. They're out of the shopping center at the corner of Northwest Military and Habner, kind of on the side that faces Northwest Habner. It'll also lift your spirits just to go in. There's a very positive atmosphere thanks to the quality of the people they hire and the quality of the products they carry. I thoroughly enjoy Wild Birds Unlimited. I think you will, too. If you have questions, feel free to give them a call. Number is so easy to remember, 210-479-BIRD. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, quickly back to gardening and the phone lines. Uh, Gary is up next. Gary, we're a little short on time. If we're still going, I'll just get uh, Greg to put you back on hold, and we'll go on after the newscast. But how can I help you today? Going to be real quick. I have got a Myers lemon in a big pot and a, mm-hmm. and a uh, lime tree in a big pot, and both of them have the, – the pots have settled, the, the – earth is compacted or the dirt uh-huh. compacted and i want to raise them back up again and i'm trying to figure out how to do it without terribly disturbing the uh <laughs> the root system do you feel like they're fairly well root bound <clears throat> no the the, okay. the dirt's still loose but i was okay you know do i i thought about how, how... like a machete and kind of digging down the, no, the pots no, are 17 don't... inches deep yeah, don't don't do that. Um, okay. And how long have they been in those pots? A year. Okay. Um, you really don't have to do anything uh, when it is comes time to do it. By far, the best thing to do is to tilt the pot over on its side, slide the plant out, disturbing the root ball as little as possible. Put some soil under it, slide it back in, and stand it up. And, uh, but it doesn't hurt them to be root-bound. The only reason that I would think about doing this would be just cosmetic. And if you want to just put some mulch on it to make it look good, you could do that. I'll tell Greg to put you back on hold if you want to talk a little more. This is KTSA Radio in San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, back to gardening. So, uh, Greg, I guess Gary got his questions answered and moved on. All right, looks like Mark and, Mar- Mark and Martha will be my next two callers. That leaves two open lines. So if you get a busy signal and you want to get in line, you know the number, 599-5555, area code 210-599-5555. And we say good morning, Mark. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. How's your world? Oh, busy. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, yeah. Well, um, a, a couple of news type items first. We <clears throat> we had a 
immature female rufous hummingbird that was here, I guess, from mid-November to mid-January. Uh-huh. And uh, she made it through the 20-degree nights, but the night it got down to 10, she disappeared. Oh, I, goodness. I, geez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, I have a little heater I put under the hummingbird feeder, though, to keep them from freezing. Uh-huh. And and so there was so it, it was kind of amazing she's out there eating when it's 20 degrees, you know, at a feeder. I tell you. <laughs> you made it possible. Hopefully she just took a little journey south and will be back to see you when the others come back, which will probably happen what? Maybe 3 weeks. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, about yeah. about. <clears throat> yeah. Um um uh geez. So the trees around here are continuously dying. West of Fredericksburg. I mean, mm-hmm. just in the last few weeks, there's been probably six more medium-sized trees dying, and and from a combination, I think. So so I, okay, we had oak wheel drop right behind our house about a year right. and a half ago, and right. now we're having to having to guess what to well try to try to figure out what to do about it. It's it's a big mess. Anyway, I had a really smart guy here, Gene Gehring, and and he was t- telling me like the the damage from the ice will take several years to recover. That's true. And apparently, the trees are dying now from a combination of the ice damage and the drought, and mm-hmm. and the post oaks and the blackjacks, the the hypoxylon. Once they're stressed, the hypoxylon is knocking them out fast. Anyway. That's, yeah, yeah. And the same thing's true of red oaks. Red oaks are kind of wimps too, but you know, post oaks are just ah, they're the biggest wimps out there. They're beautiful trees. They're mm-hmm. relatively fast growing. Yeah. But uh, they're very picky. They don't like it if it's too hot or too cold, too wet or too dry. And uh, they, it's it's tough to, you know, try to meet the needs of a tree whose root system goes way into the ground, spreads way out, and uh, just good supportive care. I personally think that, uh, you know, a lot of people create problems for themselves taking too good care of their trees because when then something comes along and they can't do that, that tree has become so dependent on them that... Uh, um, Right. Know, that it that it sometimes falls up and dies. I and and that sometimes it's oh has nothing to do with people. I have trees that have grown up along a creek of mine that used to hardly ever go dry for more than a month or two at a time. But you know, with the severe drought the past couple of years, uh, those trees did not bother to grow a big root system because they didn't need it. And I've had pecan trees die in that situation. So. Uh, uh, all we can do is give them the best supportive care we can, and I don't think there's any better program than uh, Howard Garrett's Sick Tree Treatment Program. And uh, uh, But, yeah, it's it's a question of what to do, what can you afford to do, and what are you going to just not have any luck trying to do anyway. So big questions. Right. Yeah, I, I probably spent 300 days last year watering all pretty much all day just to keep the trees in the yard alive. Yeah, and most of those made it. Most of them did. But, but and it, be thankful point, you had the water to do it. Yeah, but I can't be watering every year, you know, from now on. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well, hopefully so. we're back to a wetter period. There's water in the Guadalupe, and your river's up there for a change. But you know, it. We, this may be the the first day of a two year drought, or it may be the one day that we're closer to the next good rain, which isn't far away. So, um, <laughs> welcome yeah. to the world. Right. Right. We we averaged twenty five inches, and then the last three years we had seventeen, fifteen, and twenty. Right. So that's anyway. So okay. So one question is related to that. I was so busy trying to keep the trees alive. I, I had this Adelia tomato that I saved the seed for years and years, and it's a mm-hmm. great tomato. 
well, I didn't properly put up the seeds last year, and uh-huh. I haven't gotten them to sprout. And, geez, so I'm going back to some two- or three-year-old seeds now and trying to get them to sprout. So is is there any miracle CPR-type thing you could think of to try to get Well, and it's God. funny you mention that because I've got a package of seed on my desk right now to share with a good friend that is two or three years old. And what I will tell him, although he's already smart enough to know this, is spread those seeds, seeds out on a, a piece of parchment or wax paper or something and just mist them lightly with a, a little garret juice. That, if anything... Uh-huh. Uh, stimulates good, healthy growth, and then once they sprout and start growing, uh, start feeding them immediately. Something like Medina's has to grow plant. Um, we have a, another customer who is a meticulous note taker. I envy people who who have the dedication and the time to do that. And he did an extremely ex- interesting experiment on uh, tomato seedlings where he. Some of them he started feeding just as soon as those little cotyledons burst out of the ground. The others he did what most people do is, and he didn't really start feeding until the first true leaves appeared. The ones that he started feeding the day he saw green pushing up out of the ground turned into bigger, stockier, better plants, far better than any of the others did. So that would be my advice to you. Little little spray with Garrett juice to get that seed ready to germinate, and then just uh, extremely good care from the day you see the little plant emerge because, you know, what happens over time uh, is the amount of moisture in the seed begins to lower through desiccation. That's the reason we keep them in the refrigerator in a sealed container. And uh, uh, they found, I don't know about tomatoes, but, you know, they found seeds 2,000 years old in the uh, Pharaoh's tombs in Egypt that were still viable. So hopefully your tomato seeds with the proper care will also be viable. And I'm hoping these seeds that I've got for my friend Jesse <laughs> will be viable for him and for me as well. So when you're saying put them on parchment paper and spray them, paper and spray them do you... Do you let them sprout on the paper, or you just do that? Oh, no, no. In the soil? No, yeah. you know, so many, okay. most seeds, we just dump them into a, I just right, use, right, a, you know, right. a paper cup, uh, and right. just dump them into that, let them soak for a little while. Tomato seed is certainly bigger than carrot seed, but it's not like peas, so um, okay. I don't usually, okay. uh, I mean, if I've got a seed package and it's something that's going to sprout pretty quickly, I'll just, you know, tear the package open, pour a little bit of my more dilute garret juice in there, and by the time that paper starts to fall apart 10 minutes later, then I've got those seeds soaked. But on a finer seed, uh, especially on a seed, some older seed that you've got, it's just easier for me to do to spread them out where I know that I can coat them well without washing them away. So you're saying don't soak them because I did soak these. Don't soak them, just spray them. If you can soak them, that's just fine. Don't soak them too long. For me, yeah. it's just okay. easier to okay. do what you okay. do with fine seeds, yeah. okay. and that's spread them out, mist them, then maybe just shake them up, you know, spread them around again, figuring you're getting them turned over and mist them yeah. a second time, yeah. and then get them planted uh, in a good medium and watch for that growth to begin and start yeah. in with your uh, a little more, bit more dilute probably on the hash-to-grow plant or the liquid fish or whatever you're using. Right, right. But right. Uh, right. Yeah, that's right. what I would do. Yeah. I think I'm going to take the other 50 seeds and do that and just, just – I need one seed to sprout. (laughs) I I know the feeling. Okay. Um, So we had a giant pepper plant, and and we had actually we had a tomato last year that was a volunteer that we didn't cage, so it was on the ground. So Mm -hmm. I had this little coal frame that I covered it with 
five layers of cover and, and 150 watts of light, we're harvesting tomatoes now. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, I'm told, and, and I, I did not see it last time I was over there, which has been several years, but I'm told that if you're driving up the road to the volcano on the big island of Hawaii, that there uh-huh. is an indeterminate tomato that stretches along the road for about two miles. So um, mm. tomatoes can live a long, long time. Um, you know, and the beauty of it is that because the tomato is one plant where it will form new roots along the stem, when you've got a plant like that that's not in a cage, it's on the ground, it's not a matter of yeah. uh, the roots having to support the plant from the root system to 20 feet away where the top of the plant is. It's actually putting down new roots as it grows, and uh, there's no reason it shouldn't right. You right. Know, live for many years for you if you're taking the good care of it through the winter, which you are. And and the the the, the, the reason I say the pepper, because there's these huge peppers, and I was trying to get a jump on the spring, so the... Mm-hmm. One of the one of the two big stems froze. The other uh-huh. stem is okay. The foliage is all about two feet up and above. So mm-hmm. should I cut should I cut that back, or what should I do when I'm pretty sure it's not going to freeze again? Well, I, mean, I certainly it, it would like wait. Go ahead. Yeah, I would yeah. wait until we're past the danger of freezing weather, and right. I would wait till it got big enough that um, you could do some cutting without taking over taking away over half of the foliage on the plant. Peppers in their native environments tend to be about three-year perennials, so this okay. plant isn't going to live forever, so don't prune it too severely. But um, uh, with tomatoes, of course, you can take cuttings if you want to try that right. with the pepper, right. if you're going to trim it back. Uh, see if you can root them in perlite because that's new tissue. While the old base of the plant you know, is getting its own hardening of the of the arteries, so to speak, the tissue toward the tips of the branches is relatively new tissue. If you manage to root that, you've got you've got something that's just as good or almost as good as a new seedling plant. Well, well, I was just wanting to get a, a jump because we never get big peppers until the fall. That's kind of why I was hoping. But well, but and that's, that's partly yeah, partly due to timing and partly due to cooler weather. Peppers are always right, going right, to be bigger right, when the weather's right. cooler, so uh, you can accomplish yeah, the same yeah. thing if you have room. Start them early and get them in the garden before heat starts. Right, but but if I trim it, if I trim it at two feet, there's no foliage left. Yeah, you'll probably kill the plant if you do that. So just just let it go. Just let it. Yeah, just it's a it's a pepper tree. Okay, that's okay, what. It, I'm, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Don't ever <laughs> cut it where you're taking more than fifty percent of the foliage off. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I've grown these these heirloom lima beans that are vines, and mm-hmm. it, they used to produce tremendously. They'll go, the vines will go 12 feet. Well, over the last few years, the vines have been getting so thick, it's like the trellis is like 30 inches deep at the top, you know. Just, <laughs> and we're not getting much, much production anymore, I think, because it's just not enough sun. So my, my question is, um, if they're fixing nitrogen each year, for one thing, I, I never see the little nodules on the roots anymore. Can they still be fixing nitrogen without having the little nodules on the roots? Not well, because those little nodules are where the nitrogen is. not the plant that's fixing the nitrogen. It's the bacteria in those nodules. Yeah. Yeah. And for whatever reason, um, you may have lost, uh, you know, your inoculation, so to speak, and you may want to plant some, be sure you inoculate some new seed and uh, yeah. replant. I can't figure out why it gets gets so tremendously thick. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to plant them a lot, a lot less plants this year. That sounds like a plan. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And and um, 
if I wanted to grow just a little bit of corn, what would be the smallest patch I could grow that might produce something? Well, you could put, the secret is to have your plants close together because you've got right. wind pollination. Uh, if right. you had a whiskey barrel, you could grow, you know, probably five or six plants in there. Uh, if you okay. were going to, okay. uh, whatever, if you're not growing in a circular container, I would just grow in a square area and however much room you can yeah. uh, okay. afford. Uh, if you could do a three-by-three three patch, you know, you can get, uh, okay. you know, okay. half a dozen plants okay. in there. It's going to look a little weird, but you'll get a few yeah. ears of yeah. corn. If you can do a five-by-five five patch, all the better. If you can do a ten-by-ten ten patch, you'll do real well with it. Okay. We quit growing corn because there's so much work, but I really miss that good corn. Well, as I'm long as you can try, give try raccoons to... away. Well, the garden is electrified, so the, the, coon, the raccoons aren't a problem, luckily. That's okay. lucky you. Yeah. Well, Mark, okay. I'm going to let you go. I need to go to break yeah. here, but it's always okay. good to talk Thanks, to you, and uh, you enjoy your day in Fredericksburg. I get to talk to you right now about, uh, well, looks like this is a good time to talk about Southwest Metal Roofing, roofing Systems, which I love doing because they're the folks that uh, put the best roof I've ever seen on my home. They're the folks that put the beautiful roof on our nursery here, Shades of Green, the company that put the roof on my business partner, uh, her family's home, and it's just all of those roofs, those three roofs I get to watch very carefully. And let me tell you, they're as good looking as the day they put them on. Even our roof here that stood up to baseball size hail. And my roof's a colored roof. It a, has a red roof. And let me tell you, the color has held up through 20 years of hot sun and everything else. Southwest Metal Roofing Systems just believes in the phrase, do it once, do it for life. That's what they do. And they do new construction as well as roof replacement. So if you're building a new home, do what we did up in Bernie with the Groundwater District office. Just tell them, I tell your builder, I want Southwest Metal Roofing Systems to put the roof on my home. Very reasonably priced, best warranty in the industry, and a roof that will truly last you a lifetime. And if you don't like the look of standing seam metal, there are other looks that you, they can achieve for you with the same workmanship and the same great lifetime quality metal. You could have a roof that looks like slate or shake shingles or ceramic tile, and you don't have to do the framing to support all that extra weight. So many reasons to choose Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. Learn more by giving them a call, 210-822-6868. 210-822-6868 for Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. It's going to be Martha and Matt and Kelly. Martha is first in line. Good morning, Martha. Hi. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. On your new baby, Alex. Um, <laughs> Axel. Axel, sorry. Yeah. yeah close but uh yeah we've got a two-year-old and a three-year-old and i'm i'm wanting another one but uh we do akc stuff with them and do our own training so i gotta wait a couple of years but anyway congratulations (laughs) it's always a lot of fun it's uh you know, it's, it's, I was just telling, uh, one of our, our managers here that you kind of, you, you spend half your time saying, I love this puppy. And the other time you say, what have I done? <laughs> so, yep. Um, I'd ask Dr. Kirby, somebody told me that Goldens were the only, uh, breed that actually has smile muscles that they can control. No, that's I, an I interesting think- thought. And it, but yeah, I know I that you, a, a Golden always looks like it's smiling. So, that's an interesting thought. <laughs> I'm yeah. making a note here to bring it up when he comes in in a couple hours. 
here's my question. Um, the first is about, I guess it's probably indigo spire salvia. It's the one that's mm-hmm. about waist high and has the curly flower spikes. Yeah. Um, so I have a, a big bed of those. And last year, um, due to the dreaded uh, daughter's wedding, I was trying to get them to bloom in the end of July. Uh-huh. They had bloomed beautifully. I deadheaded them, and they really didn't rebloom. That's um, because of the heat. The heat. Okay. Yep. So, but it, but then if I but but deadheading them is a good idea because I I would like them to bloom more than once. And and you certainly can do that. Um, I think sometimes the best thing to do is to go through and basically thin them out. Deadheading them is fine. But, you know, when they're three feet tall, you can cut them way back and they will come out. But if, you're, if your bed is big enough where you can be selective and go through and cut a bunch of them down to six inches tall and leave a bunch of them at full height, um, you'll be supporting the hummingbirds and the butterflies all summer long. Just watch the weather and keep in mind about what we call the compensation point. And that's how much energy it takes a plant just to stay alive. And then any extra energy it has above and beyond that, it puts into growing and blooming. What happened last year with the severe intense heat and the drought, the compensation point was so high, it just flat took all the energy the plant had just to survive, and it had nothing left over to come back and grow and bloom at the time that you wanted it to do so. Now, I'm very much in hopes that this summer will not be this severe, but... Reality tells me that we're in Texas and anything that can happen, but the best I can do for you is to help you understand why it happened that way, and it wasn't anything you were failing to do. It's just the weather was such that the plants were doing all they could to, uh, all they could to survive. Okay, so um, after they bloom this, the first time this year, I should cut some of them way back. If you want to keep them blooming, yes, that's the best way to do it. But um, quite honestly, even though they get a little tall and leggy, um, we usually and uh, have a couple of big beds of them don't find it necessary to cut them back. They get a little rangy, but they keep keep blooming on their own. Uh, okay. Deadheading is really important with the plant that produces seed and goes out of bloom while it's making that seed and then comes back into bloom when the seed matures. Indigo spires does not make seed heads, really. It's kind of like the new varieties of lantana that don't make seed. So they don't have that off time when they're putting their energy into making seeds. So if you keep fertilizing and keep watering, my experience with indigo spires has been that until it just gets so rangy, you feel like you have to cut it back, it'll grow right on blooming. It's uh, um, if, it, if it slows down on its blooming, it's probably more related to weather than it is to anything you're doing or not doing. Okay, which brings me to my question about Vitex. I've got about six of them. They're mm-hmm. 15 feet tall, 15 feet wide. Um, similar thing, they will bloom once. <laughs> I tried to get up there dead at them last year, um, but it, uh, again, had no success. And then yep. my second question about them is pruning. Should I cut them back comp- like uniformly or should i take off those like water shoots that that they have it's it's totally up to you uh vitex by nature is a rangy plant and you can try i mean it's having a bad hair day 
every day of his life, and you're never going to make it a real mannerly plant, so to speak. Um, whether or not it reblooms uh, is much more dependent on the variety. The only Vitex that I've found that ever reblooms, uh, there's a variety called Shoal, S-H-O-A-L, Shoal Creek, and that one does rebloom. Uh, the Proven Winners people told us several years ago they were coming out with a compact reblooming form, and we have yet to see it. But if you've got just the old standard variety, if you've got plants, uh, my big plant, I've got seedlings come up all around it. I've done everything in the world to try to get it to rebloom, and it just doesn't do it. Okay, and mine are old. They've got to be 15 years old. Okay, yeah. well, that's great. So it's probably not Shoal Creek, but if you plant any new ones, try to find the Shoal Creek variety. And typically, you'll get at least a couple of bloom cycles every summer out of those. Okay. Thank you so much. You're certainly welcome, Martha. And let's see here. Hang on, Matt and Kelly. i uh, got to get a break in here, but you'll be up next. I get to talk about Rhonda's Nature's Way. And as you know, I love Rhonda's Nature's Way because of what I feel like that she and her staff have done for my life. I mean... You get a few more years on you, and I've got quite a few years on me. It's just your body, you're always going to face some of those issues. And when you're in an environment where you deal with a lot of people on a daily basis, I think it's so important to keep your immune system strong. And that's one thing that uh, Rhonda and her staff have helped me with. And I take a couple of immune support products. Also, it just, you know, you get to the point where... Our food just isn't the same quality as it once was. As much as I wish I could, I can't grow all my own food. So it's good to have a good supplement to go along to be sure that your body is getting everything it needs. And if you have any special problems, if you're dealing with weight gain or mood issues or sleep problems or digestive issues, there are things that you can do about that. Rhonda's has been around for over 40 years. She and her family, and actually most of her staff are family. There are a lot of things they can do to help you. She also practices reflexology, which is an amazing art. Think about getting a reflexology session. I guarantee you'll enjoy that. She also does red light therapy and beamer light therapy, things your medical doctor will tell you will certainly help you, and Dr. Kirby will confirm that as well. He does it with pets and uh, other animals. Uh, there are just so many reasons to go see Rhonda's Nature's Way. Wonderful people, quality products, so much better than you're going to find in a grocery store or a chain pharmacy. And they're open six days a week, only closed on Sundays and major holidays. Can't go see her today, always closed on Sunday, but tomorrow you could. They're located out in the shopping center at the corner of I-10 and Callahan, kind of across the parking lots from Sprouts. I've got a list that I need. I'll be out there one day this week, too. And by the way, as we move into the hot summer weather, really important to keep your electrolyte levels up on these hot, stressful days. I like a product called Ultima. She's got it in several different flavors. No sugar in it and meets all your electrolyte requirements. Go see them. Uh, Ronder's Nature's Way. Wonderful people with quality products. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. <laughs> no, you hold my hand. Here we go. <laughs> Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. I learned patience from my adoptive dad. All he had to say was, Hey, you got this. Just breathe. <sighs> hey. <laughs> 
We're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Might have to start a band. <laughs> I got it. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. <laughs> Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. There is a crisis on our border, and we need strong leaders we can count on to protect us. Governor Abbott is fighting for Texas, but he needs reinforcements. That's why Governor Abbott recruited conservative champion Mark LaHood for the fight. LaHood will work with Governor Abbott to help protect our neighborhoods and stop drug trafficking. He is the strong conservative partner that I need to help me secure the border. The border crisis has been growing for years, but liberal legislators like Steve Allison have done too little, too late. That's why Governor Abbott is done with liberal Allison this time. Instead, Abbott is endorsing conservative fighter Mark LaHood. Mark LaHood is the best candidate in this race. I need your help to get him elected. AFC Victory Fund is responsible for the content of this political advertising. Paid for by AFC Victory Fund and not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. www.afcvf.com This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her Mom. Your hero needs you now. And AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Attorney Joe Cordell. Business owners and professionals face special challenges in divorce court. In addition to everything else going on, they have to contend with allegations that they are earning more than they are, coupled with claims on their business or practice itself. Clients with assets depend on their divorce lawyer skills in these matters, and that's why it's so important to hire someone that has those skills. Schedule an appointment with one of Cordell & Cordell's San Antonio area attorneys. Offices in San Antonio, Austin, and St. Louis. CordellCordell.com South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, looks like it should be Kelly and Judy and John and Ron. That means don't dial right this second because all four lines are taken. But uh, first in line is Kelly. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning. Good morning. I've got, hi, I have got um, three questions. Okay. And the first one is about tomatoes. Is is it really necessary to thin them out? I mean, would there be any no. harm in just letting no. two of them grow? No. Bad idea. I don't know why they do that up north, but uh, if you thin them out, you make uh, the tomato fruit can actually get sunburned. I think it's a terrible idea, and I, I would not recommend it at all. Oh, well, that's good. Okay. And then the second one is um, chickapin and red oak. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't decide between the two of them, so I'm hoping to get some, mostly what are the cons between the two of them? Oh, uh, chinkapin by far. Uh, number one, red oak is highly susceptible to oak wilt. Uh, chinkapin is not. Uh, red oak uh, tends to be a wimpier tree. They were hurt by the uh, cold weather. Um, chinkapin, I, you know, it 
it got a little bit nipped. Uh, you don't see a whole lot of them because it's not as perfectly adapted as, say, a bur oak or something like that. Uh, but in my opinion, Hill Country or San Antonio, uh, chinkapin wins heads, hands down over a red oak. Okay. Would it do good in the area that's along the border of Bear County and Guadalupe County? Should do beautifully. Should do beautifully. Okay. Uh, just be sure that you... Uh, Actually, you could probably do well with either one. There are a couple of different uh, um, oh, strains, so to speak, but anybody who's selling a chinkapin oak, it's going to do beautifully in that area, no problem at all. Okay, wonderful. And then beautyberry. I have a friend that's in Bastrop that has five acres covered with it. Can we mm-hmm. dig some of those up and bring them Absolutely. here? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, This will be a good time to do it because the colors can vary. Some of them are just darker purple than others and more attractive. Occasionally, you will find a pure white one. So um, if they still have any berries, if the birds haven't eaten them all, be selective in what you dig because they're not all the same. And start with relatively small plants, but uh, they transplant very easily. I don't think I've ever lost one when I was transplanting, and I've done several. Okay. Is there any tips or something special I should do? Just uh, dig small ones. Have your new holes ready. Um, you will need to, uh, you know, keep the roots in soil and uh, don't let them dry out. I'd take some empty nursery containers, dig them up, put them in the nursery container, and bring them back and repot them as soon as you can. If it's not convenient, uh, you can keep them, water them, and feed them, and let them grow in that nursery can for a while and put it in the ground at your convenience. But uh, you need to get them dug pretty soon before the weather gets any hotter. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, it's my pleasure. Good questions, Kelly. Call me again, and uh, I look forward to it. I'll move on talk to Judy next. Good morning, Judy. What is Drummond's hedge hedge nettle? Is that a good plant? Tell me, tell me the name once again. Drummond's hedge nettle. I'm not familiar with the plant by that name. Um, really? I certainly I know it, Drummond's. Okay, go ahead. I got, it at, I got it at the botanical gardens. I was. Okay. I, so yeah, I, yeah, again, that's one of those, and, and I applaud them for, uh, you know, growing some oddball stuff. And uh, the gardeners down there, you know, volunteers or staff, they're knowledgeable, and uh, that's just not a plant I'm familiar with. I'd go back and say, tell me about this plant. How long have you had it? That's the first question I would ask. It's probably something they're propagating from the garden. And if they've only had it a year, then I don't think it's really been truly proven in this area. So it's just an experiment for you. But uh, uh, next time I'm down there, I don't get down there as often as I once did. But, um, you know, if it's been in for four or five years, look and see what its growth habit is and how it does for you. But uh, I would definitely ask that question, how long have you had it in the garden? And I would kind of judge by that, get some idea of how well it's going to do in your own landscape. Okay, that's okay. I'll, I couldn't decide if I wanted to plant it in the ground or put it in the pot. So, uh, <laughs> well, it's uh, I, you know, I'll, I'll make it a point. I, I put that that name down. Of course, that's a common name rather than uh, you know a botanical name. But uh, I'll, I'll I'll see what I can learn about it for you. Oh, okay. Thank you. And the other one, I have one little question. 
on uh-huh. peppers. I do not do well with green peppers. What's the magic? Answer, green peppers. I do well with jalapenos. Yeah, plant your green peppers a little early and don't expect too much for the, from them. They will do very well before it gets hot. And the year, so we have a longer, cooler spring, you'll do real well with uh, with green peppers. And if you nurse them through the summer, they'll produce for you again in the fall. But the hotter it gets, the smaller the peppers will become and the fewer you will get. So it's not so much, uh, well, it is care to some extent, but uh, they're, I, I would, you know, plant them pretty soon along with your tomatoes. Hot peppers don't really do much until the weather gets hot, too. So it's not really anything you're failing to do. It's just you've got there. Peppers are classified. There are a bunch of different classes of peppers. Uh, some of the ones they grow in New Mexico, like the hatch chilies and things you see at the grocery store, simply won't grow here. They're high-altitude peppers that uh, nobody does well with. Uh, poblanos, or some do, some don't. But it's not that you're a bad gardener. It's uh, that you're just growing some plants that don't like it when we have a you know intensely hot year. So uh, just be sure you get them planted early and don't expect too much from them during the heat. Well, that's good to know because I thought peppers were a hot weather plant. So well, some some peppers can't... are. Some peppers are, but realize there are a dozen different categories of peppers and probably a thousand varieties if you really looked hard. So uh, um, don't be going to the seed catalogs buying a bunch of exotic stuff because a lot of it just not going to grow well here. But, you know, the, uh, the hot peppers, uh, and I love this little... Uh, uh, shishito, that's pepper 10 years ago I didn't know anything about, and it's one of the best, most productive little semi-hot peppers out there. But just uh, keep in mind that big peppers and green peppers in particular are not going to be real heat tolerant. So be patient with them and get them in as early as you can. Well, thank you. That's good to know. Okay. Well, thank you, sir. You have a wonderful day. You do the same, and I'll look forward to our next visit. Uh Greg, let's get a break in here. I don't have a live, so uh, let's get the commercials out of the way and get back to gardening. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening. It's going to be John and Ron and Cheryl and John. (laughs) Good morning. Uh, By the way, the John that hears the click on the phone, you're the one that I'm speaking to right now. Good morning. uh, I hear you. uh, Good morning, Bob. I Good morning. Have a fairly simple question, and you've probably answered it before, but I didn't hear it, so let me give it to you. <laughs> well, it probably needs to be answered again. What is the question? Yeah, I have a, a St. Augustine grass lawn, uh-huh. very large, and because of last year and the year before the drought, the heat, etc., I have large areas where the da- grass is dying. Now it's taken over by weed grass, mm-hmm. and I'm not too sure the approach. It's a kind of a, and I don't know what the grass is. It's kind of a broadleaf, fast growing, and it mm-hmm. gets gets to be about uh, four inches to six inches yeah. tall. And it's going to die as it's going to get die as soon as it gets hot. Uh, the solution depends on how patient you are. Um, if, if if the spots without grass aren't too big, 
I would say, you know, mow off the bad grass. Your, your St. Augustine just hadn't started growing much because the soil's been too cool. We we went very suddenly from being pretty chilly to being pretty darn warm. Um, and if the spots are relatively small, I'd fertilize. I'd put some compost down and know that your St. Augustine's going to dominate again as soon as it gets uh, gets well started. Um, if the spots are... Yeah, if the spots are big, I would go into the area where you have good St. Augustine. I'd dig up some little four or six-inch squares of grass, transplant them into the larger bear areas, and follow that up with fertilizer and compost, and it'll spread out. And I I certainly wouldn't suggest resodding your yard. I'd uh, um, And if you have areas that are nothing but this weedy grass, you can spray it with orange oil and vinegar, and it'll kill it. It'll look ugly for a while. But um, in, in my yard, because my I'm, my time, golly, I don't know. It seems like the days just get shorter and shorter. But um, your, your St. Augustine's the strongest grass out there, and it will dominate. It just needs some warm weather to kick itself back into high gear. Well, this particular area is in full sun. Uh-huh. I've always had kind of a problem with the. Uh, the St. Augustine, it needs a lot of water. So, you know, I had considered maybe just scraping it, tilling it, and replacing uh, the sod with some kind of tip mm-hmm. or, you know, kind of golf that, course. Yeah, that's fine, but don't till it. That'll bring up every weed seed in the world. If you want to do that, just uh, get in there with your grub and hoe, chop out St. Augustine, and as uh, soon as it's, it's a little early to be planting tiff, but uh, full sun, it's a great grass. If uh, Now, realize if you want to make a golf green out of it, you're going to have to buy a special kind of mower. But if you just want a good, compact growing grass in full sun, any of the TIFFs, TIFF Green, TIFF Way, TIFF 419, those are all excellent grasses for this area. Well, you say take a grubbing hole, but this is a large area. I'm talking about at least a quarter acre. <laughs> and, I mean, it's big. It's like 10,000 square feet or so, and it's... It it'd be for me. I'm I'm a, an octogenarian, so I would not be out there grub hauling. Well, you can cancel your gym membership for sure, but somebody who knows what they're doing, you know, with a bobcat or something like that, they they could scrape it. And uh, yeah, all you need to do is just really get the the surface well exposed so that your new saw that you put down will make good sod to soil or make good yeah sod to soil contact. You just don't want uh, you don't want your new grass to be held away. You want the, the new grass to be very firmly against the soil underneath. That's why we always roll it uh, with a heavy roller after you put it down. But, no, if it's uh, uh, if it's a big area and you want to do it all at once, uh, yeah, you need some professional help. If you, you know, want to do it checkerboard style and do it a little bit at a time, that's that's strictly up to you. You sound like you're a, a healthy, active octogenarian who's going to be with us for a lot more years. So uh, it's well, your decision. I think you've got a good plan. Uh, you don't uh, uh, you don't like pre-emergent kind of treatments. Huh? Uh, pre-emergents uh, generally don't work real well. Uh, the corn gluten meal is a natural product that I have no problem with, but the uh, most of the others are highly toxic chemicals that ultimately will do damage to uh, 
Um, your existing trees and shrubs and uh, can be cancer-causing as well. So, no, I do not recommend pre-emergence other than corn gluten meal. And you have to realize that even it is going to have limited effectiveness uh, after, you know, when we've really kind of gotten into warm weather. Okay. I appreciate the information. You have I appreciate the call. You get out thank and have a great, great Sunday. I do appreciate thank the call, and I thank you. All right, let's see here. Uh, looks like next in line is Ron. Good morning, Ron. Hi, uh, Bob. Good morning. I, uh, I'm, I've got some 10-gallon fabric pots that I grow my tomatoes in. Yes, sir. And, great way to uh, do it. Well, yeah, it, I, uh, I want to add amendments to it in preparation for the coming growing season. Mm-hmm. And I was going to use organic fertilizer, cornmeal, azomite. Now, one question I have is, uh, if I add some compost to the existing soil, uh, and how deeply do you think I need to work these uh, amendments into the soil to, uh, you know, to to get them to work the best they can for the coming season? Um, you know, I'm sure you stay organic on your fertilizers and things, yes. and unless your soil is gotten rock hard, I don't know that you need to work compost in at all. It'd be nice to put a little layer of it on the surface. That's what I do in my oh, own garden okay. is prior to planting, I put down my fertilizer, uh, my azomite, I put a little compost on top of it. I try to do that six weeks before I'm going to be planting, but um, no reason. Your your soil is better than it was last year as long as you haven't been dumping synthetic nitrogen on it. So um, certainly don't need to replace it or overwork it. Now, um, okay. again, I I put, you know, general organic fertilizer on the surface, and then as I plant individual tomato plants, I do put that layer of rock phosphate underneath the root zone, but... Uh, no reason you have to overwork that soil. There's uh, there's no reason to. Your soil should be better than it was last time around. Now, you mentioned rock phosphate. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that the azomite? Is that a rock phosphate? No, um, azomite is a good source of a lot of different micronutrients that your tomatoes need. Rock phosphate is very specific for increasing production, and you never blend it with the soil. It becomes totally ineffective. But if you, and, and old Malcolm Beck did the original research on this, and uh, he put, dug the hole to plant his tomatoes, put a, you know, a handful of rock phosphate, and then planted the plant directly on top of it. The plants that he did that with produced twice as many pounds of tomatoes during the growing season. And uh, just to complete the whole story, he got dollar signs in his eyes. He went out and bought a ton of it, spread it over his garden, blended it in, and got nothing. Because it's just once you mix it with the soil, <laughs> it it gets tied up to where it doesn't do anything. But uh, just a handful of it underneath each plant really increases production, but it doesn't replace or do the same thing that azomite does. What about bone meal? Isn't that heavy phosphate also? Bone meal, you could do the same thing, but uh, um, it doesn't give the immediate results that the powdered rock phosphate does. Uh, if you if you got bone meal and really micronized it, it would be an even better product, but it's not gonna not gonna still not gonna do the job of uh, the powdered rock phosphate. Carpool is the company that makes it, and they do a really good job of it, and. Uh, um, 
it's again it's a natural product it's not uh, uh, it's not anything that's synthetically produced so I have no problem using it in the garden but uh, bone meal is just uh, you know is probably I think of phosphate as being about ten times as concentrated in the effect you get okay well I appreciate the advice Bob as usual thank you uh, you are certainly welcome and I'm sure you already know this but uh, tomatoes are one plant that you can plant a little deeper uh, and if you're getting tall transplants, when I look at the ones that, you know, we've already been getting 10, 20 varieties of tomatoes. Some of them are a little taller, some of them are a little shorter. Shorter ones, plant them just as they are. If you get any that are a little taller, go ahead and bury them as deep as you can in the ground because tomatoes are the one plant that you can pile root soil around the stem and it'll make roots and make for an even stronger plant in the long run. So it's well, I, uh, the only, uh, only tomatoes I grow... The last four or five years have been these dwarf tomatoes. They're called mm-hmm. dwarfs. Yeah. They get up around four feet tall, three, four feet, and they are just an amazing plant. They uh, they they don't sprawl. They grow upright like a bush tomato, and or uh, I guess you call them determinant type yeah. tomato. Right. And uh, they are. They are wonderful. <laughs> it's the best tomatoes I've ever had. Well, you sound but like a man who knows tomatoes. And uh, are you planting yours yet? No, we're. I'm up in Branson. I'm going to wait. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm you know, know which one I'm talking to. A few weeks. Yeah. Well, okay. I always appreciate well, you, you calling from Branson, Missouri. So you keep up the good work and look forward to hearing from you again, Ron. Thank you so much. All right. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. 15 seconds till news. Uh, we'll be right back with Cheryl and John. And uh, it is, you know, not time to plant Missouri, but it is time to think about planting, at least in San Antonio. This is KTSA Radio, The Garden Show. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555. All right. <laughs> Back to gardening. And uh, once again, don't dial right this second. As often happens on Sundays, uh, lines are all full. We'll have one available for you very shortly. Right after we talk to Cheryl, this is going to be Cheryl and John and Debbie and Diane. Good morning, Cheryl. Hello, Bob. Good morning. Uh, I stocked up on my bulbs last week, uh-huh. and I've got some questions. I bought some elephant ears, and mm-hmm. they're the colocasia, okay. which I have never uh, planted before. And I have a, a pot that's... Um, about 15 inches high and, and 18 inches across. Uh, how many to a pot would I be able to plant? How how uh, large are your bulbs? Are they the size of ping pong balls or the size of softballs? Well, they're more like ping pong. Okay. You can put, I, I would probably put maybe three in a pot that size. Uh, you've made a good choice. That's the old-fashioned elephant ear as opposed to the alocasia, which is a more upright one, what you have is much hardier, and uh, it ultimately will make you know enormous leaves. Now, when you start out, the size of the bulb uh, makes a difference in how big the initial leaves will be. Uh, yours will start out with the leaves the size of a caladium, a large caladium leaf. By the end of the summer, they'll be substantially larger. Um, if you want instant glory next time look for some of these things that are they truly are almost as big as softballs and they will make an immediate plant immediately very large plant but uh, 
the big difference is these, especially if you ultimately move them into the ground, they're going to be much more winter hardy than the alocasias are. They're going to be with you for a lot of years to come. That's wonderful. Now, you don't, you, they don't have as many varieties. The colocasias, there is a variegated one and a green one. Alocasias, there must be 20 varieties, including some of them that have leaves that are four feet across. Um, your colocasias may get close to that big, but you're not going to have the beautiful patterns like you get an African mask and some of the different alocasias. But as far as an easy plant to grow, you've made a wonderful choice. Well, I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. Um, and I will probably uh, plant the rest in the ground. And the the label says uh, full sun. They will grow in shade or in full sun, and don't plant them too deeply. Put them where the top of that bulb is no more than an inch below the surface of the ground. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that because the instructions say uh, four to six inches deep. If you lived in Michigan, where those bulbs probably can came from, you very definitely would be planting them differently, so I'm glad you called. Yes, sir. Uh, and is it okay to go ahead and plant them now? I wouldn't hesitate. If we get a late freeze, I mean, if they sprout and then they get nipped a little bit, they'll come back. And uh, um, you can also wait a couple of weeks and be 100% safe on that, or... You could start them in a, you know, smaller, like a little five-inch pot or something like that, let them sprout, and then put them into your bigger pot. The choice is up to you. If it was me, I'd just plant them and be done with it, but I'd have a piece of insulate handy to throw over them if we get late cold this year. Got it. <laughs> Very good. Thank you so much, Bob. You're certainly welcome. I appreciate the call this morning, Cheryl. And next in line is John. Good morning, John. Good morning, sir. How are you? Off to a good start. It's a beautiful day out there today. Yes, sir. I'll agree. Uh, three quick questions, and I caught the butt end of one of them that you had earlier, so I'll, I'll leave save that one for last. But first one, um, uh, chili patines. I want to transplant them and put them in a. Uh, I use uh, like the cattle, the molasses tubs. Yeah. I'll use those. I have a little bit of black cow and a little bit of uh, put a little bit of uh, growing green. Mm -hmm. on them and then put a little bit of uh, uh, compost in there and I'll mix it up. I've had it mixed up for like four to five weeks. Is it okay to no. transplant those now? Uh, weather's the only limiting factor. You know, chili patines, chili patines uh, both uh, are generally survive the winters here and come back, but a freshly transplanted plant or a seedling plant is not quite as cold hardy. So uh, I'd say plant them, but just like I was telling uh, Cheryl with her elephant ear bulbs, uh, just be prepared that if we get late cold, you can cover them. Yeah, I'll, I'll be able to. That's the reason I put them in the molasses trust. I got a dolly. Yeah. I can take them and put them in the garage. <laughs> Very good. Hopefully that won't be an issue. But now the size of a molasses tub, I'd put at least four plants in there, even more if you have relative. You're going to transplant these from elsewhere in the yard? Uh, no, sir. I, they were gifted to me from a friend, oh. and I have them. He, he planted them in small little uh, plastic uh, four-inch pots. Oh, okay. And I, I've got them at the house already, and they're probably about, I don't know, 12, 18 inches tall. Yeah. They already in produce the... peppers. <laughs> Very good. Well, get them, in the, get them in the molasses tub as soon as you can, and uh, I'd say four or five plants will fill that tub up very well. 
and I could put all four of them in one one container. No yes, problem. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, next question is: uh, My daughter eats grape tomatoes. Is uh-huh. it okay to keep one of those and just plant it, or a couple of those and just plant the break them apart and plant those in one of those molasses tubs as well? You can, but rather than plant the intact tomato, um, you know what a colander is? A little yes. thing you use to yes. rinse off seeds and things. Um, you know, slice that, that grape tomato in half, squeeze the seeds out into your colander, wash all the jelly off of it, and then plant them. Um, that will that will avoid a few problems. Uh, but I, you know, you could, uh, if it, nature, of course, drops it on the ground, uh, animals eat half of them. Some of them may ultimately survive and grow. But, uh, if you will, like I say, clean them, wash your jelly off of them, plant them, oh, a quarter of an inch deep or so, uh, I think you'll have a lot better luck. Uh, if you're doing this next year, do that about the 1st of January in small pots and you'll have plants that are, you know, already eight inches tall by this time of year to plant. But, uh, I wouldn't plant the intact tomato. You get a much better result with cleaner seed. Okay. And I could do that today if I had to? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, one other question. Um, I have a, a lemon tree and I have a key lime and I have mm-hmm. those in, uh, they're probably one gallon pots. Is it okay to transplant them as well? I and mean, they've got fruit and blooms on them right now. Yeah, it's never a good idea to put a small plant in a big pot. Plants are it. It's just as hard to keep the soil evenly moist, and plants generally thrive much much better, if you will, either. Uh, move them up gradually. If they're in a one-gallon container now and they're getting somewhat root-bound, my choice would be put them in a five-gallon container, perhaps grow them on for another year before you put them into a big individual tub. Now, if you said, well, I want to get them started today, I would plant like three of them in that molasses tub so so the roots will move through the soil so it'll dry out a little bit more evenly. Um, if you're super, super careful with your watering, uh, you could go ahead and plant a little plant in a big pot, but there are a lot of plants you just get stunted, and some plants die because of the uh, difficulty of maintaining even soil moisture when you have a very limited root system and a very large amount of soil that you for your watering. So uh, up to you, but the happiest plant is a root-bound plant, and if you can do it gradually, you'll end up with uh, with bigger plants more quickly. So uh, choice is yours. If you've got them in bloom and producing fruit, uh, uh, you're off to a real good start. Okay. Last question. Uh, this is the one I heard the butt end of earlier. Um, weeds have taken over my carpet grass yard, and I am like, I fertilize it regularly. I, once, I put 100 pounds of fertilizer on it every quarter, and then I'll go out there and spray some uh some has to grow lawn fertilizer on it. Uh, mm-hmm. I water it. I do everything I can, but right now the weeds are there. There's no you can hardly see carpet grass at all. <laughs> and so what you need to do is mow those weeds down as low to the ground as you can. If we talked a month ago, we would have talked about spraying some vinegar and orange oil. But your Saint Augustine's going to be growing in the very near future. Uh, your Saint Augustine will choke those out. Those weeds are going to die as soon as it gets hot. So I would mow it pretty low. 
Um, anywhere you have the time and the energy, a thin layer of compost over it would be a great idea. Uh, compost is probably the best natural pre-emergent herbicide out there, and if you've done that back in November, you probably have virtually no weeds. But at this point, uh, stay away from the poisons. Just the only thing you want to be sure of is that your St. Augustine gets plenty of sunlight, so get out there and mow those weeds down as low as you can. I use a line trimmer to do it. Um, and, uh, you know, you probably want to rake up that, they call it rescue grass or just winter grass. It's going to die as soon as it gets hot. But uh, the more you can do to allow your St. Augustine to get the sun, the faster the St. Augustine is going to choke them out. Okay. Yeah, and that's the hard part. Three-quarters of the yard is covered by oak trees. But uh, yeah. some of it is like a, like almost like a nettle that's coming up. There, there are a thousand varieties of weeds for every variety of good grass there are. Uh, a many of these bigger thistles uh, can make as many as 500,000 seeds on one plant. So there's all sorts of stuff trying to come up. But, uh, again, you can break your back trying to get them out individually. You can just mow them off. And uh, if any, if you have any of these giant Russian thistles come up, get out there with a grubbing hoe and cut them off about an inch below the surface of the ground. And, they, you know, that will kill them. But uh, um you're going to do an awful lot more work than necessary if you do much more than just just mow them down, put some compost where you really want to stimulate the good grass growth and uh, have a little patience for the next few weeks. Okay. I appreciate it. I'm I'm going to take on the mowing deal this afternoon. Most of the time I leave my mower as high as it'll go, but yeah. now I've, I'm going to drop it down as low as it'll go. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, if we have a mild winter and your St. Augustine stays green, mowing high is a great idea, but uh, it was cold enough to set your St. Augustine back a little bit. So, I mean, don't don't cut it so low that you're cutting the runners of the St. Augustine, but probably the next to the lowest setting would be uh, the setting I'd recommend. and. <laughs> Get ready for a mower that's going to try to bog down, and you're going to you're going to use a little foul language trying to get through if if your weeds are as thick as mine are in some of my yard. But uh, the outcome will be good. But uh, again, as much weed as you have, you're probably going to want to take a leaf, leaf rake and uh, rake that up, and throw it in the flower beds as a mulch uh, as you go. Okay. Yeah, I've been. I cut it uh, last week, and I had it like on the in the middle, kind of on the third. Okay. Notch and, uh, well, mowed you're, it down you're good. And only bad part now is um, breaking up. All, I have all the oak leaves. I don't know if I want to rake those up or just mulch them. Or ah, <laughs> uh, that's totally up to you. And and you'll be able to tell more when you uh, when you do that mowing. Take a look at your Saint Augustine. If it's starting to actively grow, you don't really need to do much of anything. But if it's still Seems kind of semi-dormant. The more oak leaves and things you get off, the faster it will come out. But uh, don't throw them away. By all means, pile them. They're valuable material you can put back. I just uh, I just want to see your St. Augustine get the sun that it needs to come out. Yes, sir. I have a little a little uh, uh, leaf blower connection deal that I can hook up, and it'll suck it up and mulch it all at the same time. I can put it on a bag, and uh, hey. then I just pile it up somewhere. You're going to be stopping to empty that bag pretty often, but nothing wrong with that. I do it easy. I rake them up in a pile and then I suck them up. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say you've got it down, John. Get out there and have a good day of it. Yes, sir. You too. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, Greg, I guess we better get a break in here, and uh, we'll be right back with Debbie and Diane. 
South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's Debbie and Diane and E.T. and Lisa. Debbie's first. Good morning, Debbie. Good morning, Bob. Thank you so much for taking my call and so much for what you do. <laughs> well, thank you for calling and giving me an opportunity to do it. That's awesome. So our family's blessed to be back on the last of our family's farm and uh, in the home that my parents lived, that we all left lived as a family, surrounded by 21, 300 beautiful oak trees that were uh, just recently manicured by a family-owned, you know, tree service. They did amazing. Um, that said, I just wanted to confirm they found some fungus on a couple of those mighty oaks, and they suggested cornmeal, which I came and got from you. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to clarify, do I just sprinkle it near the base of the troubled trees for now, and then, or what do I do? Did they tell you what kind of fungus they found? I, you know, I think it was some kind of something, but I don't remember the technical Okay. I, I know they said it wasn't oak wilt, um, and you know they just suggested the you know cornmeal, yeah, and yeah. like I said, they got it. Where me. where is this beautiful piece of property located? Uh, uh, south of San Antonio. Okay, um, you can put out you know just put out cornmeal, and and it will do the job in the hill country. I recommend, you know, doing more what we call corn water tea, taking five-gallon buckets, put a couple of cups in each bucket, soak it overnight, and pour that around. Uh, the main reason for that is that uh, it, you don't have the problem with hogs. And uh, let me tell you, oh. uh, that's, just, that's, that's a big issue in the hill country. We're so overrun with them. Um, you don't have to go, and I don't know how much of this they told you, but no reason to try to go all the way out to the drip line. Um, if you're doing it dry, I would, you know, go a little bit further. If you're doing it, uh, um, you know, in a liquid form, you want to use most of it within 10 or 12 feet of the trunk because that's where the tree takes up the majority of its liquid. Um, I I think it's a good thing to do, you know, on a preventive basis, maybe once a year, uh, the area you're in, if you're up in the hill country, I'd say three or four times a year because it, you know, can help prevent oak wilt. But uh, uh, where you are, where you don't have the hogs to deal with, the choice is yours. You can either put it on dry or you can make what we call the corn water tea and pour that around. Either one's going to give you good results. Okay, good. And that's kind of what they had suggested, mix it with water. And so uh, what kind of ratio would I use? Two cups to a five-gallon bucket and soak it overnight. All right. Okay, I have one quick question because I know we're going to get the bottom of the hour. So because, uh, there's a few spots in my yard that appear to have grubs. And, you know, because they're, the St. Augustine's not growing there, even if I water mm-hmm. whatever. So is that nematodes, compost, and fertilizer in that order? Well, or- uh, you, you, you don't have grubs. You have grub damage. Um the grubs that are there now are not eating. They're just waiting to come up and have their little fling and fly around and lay more eggs. So we generally don't worry about putting out nematodes until we start seeing the June bugs or until the weather is such. I can't say I've ever seen 
flights of June bugs in February, sometimes as early as late March. But uh, keep an eye out for the June bugs before you uh, before you spend the money for the nematodes. But yes, compost, fertilizer, uh, those are what you want to do, and a little bit of sunshine, uh, a little bit of warm weather to get the St. Augustine into active growth. But uh, um, again, there's a lot of grubworm damage out there, but no active grubs. So I wouldn't. Uh, I mean, you can put out nematodes never hurt anything. But uh, I wouldn't really suggest spending the money on them un- until you have a reason to. If you have fleas, if you have fire ants, yeah, your 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 nematodes will do a lot of good now against those things. But uh, uh, a little early to be treating for grubs. All right, super califragilistic, and and so I can just go and ask. You know, when I go by your uh, shades of green, I can ask for the fertilizer and deal with the compost and everything. Unless you have something more south of San Antonio, kind of the Poteet, Atascosa County area? <laughs> uh, you know, you've got good nurseries around. You've got a, a new nursery down, I believe, in the, um, oh, just south of Pleasanton down there. Uh, uh, Fanix is certainly closer to you than we are, but we love to see you, and most people want to come up and shop at the quarry every now and then, and we're just five minutes from there. Or Most people go to the airport every now and then, and you can all. <laughs> You swing by when you're picking up family coming to visit, but uh, when you don't have the time, again, you've got some other good people out there that can help you as well. I pass on hugs all the time. I tell people, I said, please, you know, if Bob's not in the nursery, whenever he comes in, give him two hugs, one from you and, you know, one from me. Because <laughs> we've, got a, we've, we've got a great staff, but uh, uh, it always seems to be, I feel like I'm here all the time. Other than Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm usually off working on my own ranch, but uh, until friends come to visit, and then that happens to be the time I, you know, went to one of the suppliers or whatever, but uh, I hope I get to see you next time you come by. All right, super. Thank you so much. You are certainly welcome. Appreciate the call. Thank you, Debbie. Uh, Looks like Diane is up next. Good morning, Diane. Good morning. Good morning. I've got a question. I've got a question about. I was given some seeds called long bean seeds. Mm -hmm. They look like gigantic green beans to me. Yeah, they're called Chinese long beans, and uh, they'll make a they'll make a bean that's twelve or eighteen inches long. Okay, can you tell me? I don't know nothing about how to plant them or take care of them. They are a pole bean type of bean, so they will need a fence, a trellis, some sort of tomato cage. Uh, they need to be have something that they can grow up five feet or so on. And, um, I, I mean, I've known people to grow them on an old clothesline. There are a lot of different ways you can do it. Uh, but the the principal things are, you know, get them out in good sunshine if you have any inoculant like any bean uh, it's good to use it the first year if you're replanting in the same area year after year little microbes stay in the soil but um, about the about all that you need to know is you need good bright sunlight when you plant the seeds i'd spread them out i plant them about six inches apart Uh, they're going to make a very thick growth and like i say they need something to grow up on not many problems get after them. You may see some leaf-footed bugs uh, a little later in the season. You go after those with spinosad, but uh, they're they're easy to grow, and they will give you quite a good harvest and uh, give you quite a bit of good eating as well. Just grow them basically like you would a pole bean, any pole bean. 
Okay, do they taste like regular green beans? Depends on how you season them. <laughs> I, oh, I would okay. say yes, they taste a lot like regular green beans, but... Uh, Oh, I miss my friend Shu and John Yu that used to have the most wonderful Chinese restaurant in the world up on Broadway. And uh, uh, they're delicious. They are really, really good. I'll never forget the day I was fussing at Shu and saying, why did you guys close your restaurant? She said, because John don't want to die in the kitchen. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> if you have any if you have any Asian friends, they may be able to to celebrate some uh or to suggest some some different things to do with them, but the the flavor will be dependent upon uh, you know how you prepare them, and there are lots of fun things to do with them. I'm I'm not the chef. I may be pretty good at uh, at barbecuing, but uh, somebody else is the person that's going to cook and season the green beans properly. Okay, so when should I plant them then? When you think it's not going to freeze anymore. Okay. <laughs> All righty. Thank you very much. Good luck much. with it, and enjoy. And uh, you can actually purchase seeds, but uh, toward the end of the productive season, which will be midsummer, you might want to let a few of them go to seed and just save some seeds so you'll have them to replant next year. They they typically will not come back year after year. So if you really like them, oh, uh, be okay. sure and save some seed toward the end of the season so you'll have them for next time around. All right. Well, thank you for that. You're sure welcome, okay. and I appreciate the call. Thank you, Diane. All right, Greg, I guess we better not get behind. Let's get that break in, and E.T. and Eliza will be my next two callers. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening and back to the phone calls, and E.T. is next in line. Good morning, E.T. Morning, Bob. How are you today? Uh, it's just a beautiful day. I'll be better when I can get out into it, but I'm enjoying it uh, every minute of it now. Okay, great. I got a plant ID question for you. It's okay. a very, very long, stemmy, stemmy plant, and it has it presently has yellow flowers on it. Okay, and this is out in the yard. Yes, sir. It's a perennial. I know it don't die back. You know the flowers and the leaves. You no, know, succumb to the cold, but. Right now, it's very long, it's very stemmy, has a uh, little four-petal yellow flowers on it. Okay. Um, and are the flowers singular, or are the flowers in a cluster? No, it's a four-flower deal. I mean, four yellow, four, the leaves are four yellow ones. Okay. Golly, it's it could be one of the primroses. It could be one of the daisies. Um, my guess would probably be, golly, look up four nerve daisy. Look up uh, uh, oh, their evening primrose. There are several different things in the primrose family. Is it woody or is it succulent? It's, I believe it's woody. It's woody, and it's, I mean, they're a, it's a 10 foot taller, better. And if I do not trim it, oh, okay. you know, it grows haywire. Okay, well, then that's almost certainly primrose jasmine. Uh, primrose jasmine, and everywhere it touches the ground, it will root and form a new plant. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm almost certain you're looking at primrose jasmine in that case. Yeah, because once it leaves out, you know, or flower, yeah, it leaves out, you know, and then it's very, very thick. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it it almost certainly sounds like primrose jasmine to me. Okay, great. And uh, 
tomato-wise, cherry tomatoes. What is the sweetest tasting cherry tomato? Um, I would have to go with uh, Super Sweet 100s. I think that's the the uh, sweetest red tomato. Uh, overall, I would go with uh, Sun Gold, which is a yellow cherry tomato, and uh, I, I think that's even a little sweeter than the Super Sweet 100s. But some people think a tomato has to be red to be a tomato. If you like a yellow tomato, uh, a sweet one or, or Sun Gold is is. Overall, I'd have to say my favorite. I walk in the garden and eat about 20 of them and then go to work. Yeah, because the ones I got last year, you know, you eat one, two of them, you know, they're not really super sweet, you know. But you know, part, of it, part of it was the weather last year. But if you want what I think is consistently the sweetest cherry tomato, uh, Sun Gold would be the yellow. And if you want a red one, then Super Sweet 100s would probably be uh, the best of the reds. But I, I think the yellow is the sweetest overall. Okay, great. And my strange question for today is, has to do with algae. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the bird bath and the cat and the dog's water dish, every now and then I have to empty them all, scrape all that algae up. And if I put it in a small container, would that make a okay growing medium? Mm, I, you know, I I wouldn't grow in just dried algae alone. I would, you know, probably add a a few other uh, things to it, but uh, there certainly is nothing wrong with that. It's widely used as a fertilizer in Japan and other places in that part of the world, but um, you're going to find that when it really dries up, it's uh, a very, you almost have to chop it up or blend it up, and uh, um, it takes an awful lot of it to really fill a pot, but as a, as a amendment i think it would be fine but i i don't think you'd find it make a good growing medium to just use that alone yeah you know because you know i was you know cleaning them all out and wow i wonder if this would make a, any kind of growing maybe add some perlite to it you know and just maybe stick a bean or something in there again i would add something with a little more volume to it like a bit of compost or something but uh give it a try and see how it works certainly won't hurt anything but just remember when you moisten it it's going to be a very tight material you're not going to have a lot of oxygen in it as a growing medium uh so this is why i think it's important to add some other things to it but uh it it certainly would be a good thing to supplement with and uh let me know how you do with it okay well i'll just know for an experiment all right thank <laughs> you bob you have a very pleasant day for the rest of the you, day you do the same et and liza you're up next good morning Bob, I have a quick question here. Again, okay. it deals with the lawn. What I had was St. Augustine, and now I've got the weeds as usual, every every weed known to man. The problem is I can't cut them down because I'm growing these oriental poppies uh-huh. in the lawn, and I don't want to damage them. Right. And I was thinking about your orange oil and vinegar solution, but I don't know if that would kill them when I'm trying to kill the weeds that's growing between them. Uh, it only kills what you get on the foliage of. These but, are wall-to-wall. Uh, yeah, I, at this point, put up with the weeds and don't let anybody <laughs> tell you that you have to mow them down because uh, your oriental poppies, golly, some of them are so spectacular. 
Uh, that little common orange one is pretty, but boy, if you've got any of the of the ones that range in color from sort of a mauve to a purple to seven different shades of uh, pink, they are spectacular. So my, I don't know, my only objection to having a yard full of those, is, and I do have those in uh and you know, the larkspur just growing up everywhere, but I don't know how it is that you can plant 10 different colors of them, and the next year everything that comes back is red. But, uh, no, I there's not really, once things are up and growing, you pretty much, unless you want to go out and hand-pull some and be careful not to trample on your proper, on your poppies, uh, there's That's not what I'm really... doing. My husband, my husband actually says, I don't know how you can filter between them to get... <laughs> all the weeds but i that's, do it that's just his excuse for not helping you <laughs> <laughs> don't tell him i said that though <laughs> <laughs> yeah i suppose but I, I don't think i don't think he's as diligent about pr- protecting them as much as i am so i think a lot of them would go to the wayside <laughs> well and i think you're getting some good exercise and enjoying some wonderful sunshine but yeah you're doing it the best way that's uh uh, but again, if you get any of the unusual colors, make an attempt. You know, poppy seeds easy to save. It's very fine seed, oh, yeah. but uh, get in there and harvest those little crucibles, and you know, be sure oh, and put I them do. in just a dry envelope. And mark what they are, but uh, be sure you have some of those uh, bigger, different colors to plant again next year. Because I'm sure your yard's spectacular. You're doing doing good things out there. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, I just didn't like I said they they're between the painted petals and these poppies. They're just like fabulous. I, I keep telling my sister it's a cottage garden. Just look at it that way. It's oh, a yeah. cottage well, garden now. <laughs> and if you have a chance next year, plant some Dutch iris in there. Maybe uh, uh, stick in a few little blotillas, the Chinese ground orchids. Uh, they blend in very pretty with that and come back year after year. You've got a beautiful thing going and. Uh, I might even suggest a few more things to make it even more colorful next time around. All righty. Well, thank you so much for putting my mind at ease here. (laughs) (laughs) You are certainly welcome. You enjoy and uh, call me when you have more questions. And uh, let's get our last last break of the show in, Greg, in time for a few more phone calls. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, uh, let's go keep going. Uh, we we have another Lisa there, Greg, and then Yolanda and Katie. Yolanda, very good. Uh, Yolanda and then Katie, good morning, Yolanda. Hey, good morning, Bob. How are you this morning? Off to a good start. Beautiful day beautiful out there. Beautiful morning, and, uh, yes. Lot, lots of other folks out there enjoying it, too. Go right ahead. <clears throat> the first one is uh, last year when I think it was like you told me September, October, I put the uh, blue bonnet seeds out mm-hmm. and I did. And so now um, they have, I guess in one area, I put a whole bunch of seeds. And so I have like a cluster of blue bonnet seeds. Uh-huh. And my question is, uh, can I transplant them somewhere else without you know, hurting them or I no, uh, I I wouldn't I wouldn't try to transplant them. You'd you'd probably wind up killing most of them. Uh, you mm-hmm. can harvest more seed. In fact, uh, you know they, I think they say blue bonnets produce like four hundred or maybe twelve hundred pounds of seed per acre. So just plan toward the end of the bloom season. 
you know, they'll form those little kind of bean-like seed pods, and then when they first start to turn brown, you don't want to let it open and have the seed fall. But you can collect a mm-hmm. bunch of seed from them this spring and have lots more to plant next year. But, uh, uh, no, mm-hmm. they just, they're hard to transplant successfully. You can always, uh, I mean, okay. lots, lots of people will <clears> actually start their seeds in pots and uh, then have little plants to plant out wherever they, where they want them. But keep in mind that uh-huh. little rosette, a plant has been growing roots all winter, and it's got the roots spread all around. And if you if you cut them, even if you don't kill the plant, you're going to really reduce its ability to produce nice flowers for you. So I just live with them where they decided to come up this year. Yes, okay. That's what I'm going to do. And then I spread them again in September or October. And, uh, we just kind of have to watch the weather. Remember that Mother Nature plants them in uh, June or, you know, late May or June. So the reason we wait until later to plant them is if if you plant them when the plants would be normally shedding their seed, some years we get good rains, they sprout and start to make the little uh, rosette of growth, and then it turns off when we go into drought for two months and all the little plants uh, shrivel and die because they don't get any water. So... Uh, you can plant them anytime you can water them, but typically if you wait and plant them in September or October or even early November, uh, Mother Nature helps out with the moisture that you don't have to do a whole lot other than just enjoy them. But uh, um, I, I, if I had to pick the best month, it probably would be October. Oh, okay. Yes, I think that's what you told me, and that's what I did. And they Sounds multiplied. like it worked well. Sounds like it worked well <laughs> it if you've got that many little yeah. plants coming up. They have really, you wouldn't believe they have really multiplied. Well, uh, better thank take you some for pictures. That that you yeah, gave me take last some, year. take some pictures and share with your friends uh, when oh, they come yeah. into bloom here in six weeks or so. I'm sure they'll want to come get some, but <laughs> I'll have to shy them away. There you go. My my other question is: I have this uh, deck that gets sun uh, all day. And I wanted to uh, plant. Uh, I I wanted to get some pots and put plants in there. Mm-hmm. What plants would be good that would take the sun in pots? Um, yeah, there. Gosh, there's so many. It's hard. To, uh, if you want something that can be perennial, not have to protect in the winter months, but uh, uh, bougainvilleas are you know spectacular. Bougainvilleas. There's a uh-huh. plant called a dwarf esperanza. Uh, the yellow Esperanza is the one that gets very large and really big pots. If you want something that's eight feet tall, you can plant that. But there's a compact orange. There's a compact sort of butterscotch yellow. There's one that's yellow that has a red center. I've seen those things with several hundred flowers open at one time, and they love the hot sun. And uh, they would be pretty. I'd go with a pretty big pot, you know, 18, 20 inches in diameter, but... Uh, they would be great in the sun. Some people grow the pride of Barbados in the sun, but it frequently it, it just gets a little bit too big. Um, oh, yes. There, yes. there mm-hmm. are uh, various, you know, annual plants, uh, so many combinations. You could plant uh, oh, something like Celosia uh, in the middle and then plant periwinkles around the edge. Uh, if you want a tall perennial plant, there are a bunch of different salvias that you could put in there. Um, wanted something trailing a lot of people would plant something like rosemary and then plant a few flowers to go along with it but then have some rosemary for that chicken you're cooking uh, oh, yes, that would be pretty 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're just uh, yeah. if you want yeah. if you want a pretty green low shrubby plant, you can plant uh, bay laurel. Um, bay laurel, it's the same stuff you pay three or four dollars for about ten leaves shoved into a jar in HEB. I was looking at my plant that's frozen back twice now, but it probably had about $500 worth of leaves on it. So it, mm. bay laurel is a great pot plant to plant out there. It doesn't have flowers, but it's certainly, uh, if you, yeah. you enjoy Cajun cooking, it's a whole lot nicer to go out and harvest your own. But uh, yes. the list just goes on and on. Some people are into topiary, and uh, they want to you know create little individual interesting shapes. Uh, there are many mm-hmm. different colors of lantana that are beautiful in pots. You're gonna you're gonna be limited by space rather than variety. There's so many different. Oh, I have a huge plant. deck. Yeah, yeah, mine is really big, and that's why I wanted you know put some pots out there with plants to you know give it some character. Well, just be sure you have time to take care of them. But if you do, and uh-huh. it's a little well, early that's, yet. That's the one that, uh, what I would like is some that you don't require a lot of care. Well, there, uh, and and you bring up another really important point. Uh, the main care that all these things are going to need is water. Um, mm-hmm. There, um, there is a new product out there that uh, uh, is called Aqualock. Uh, it's an. It, it, I like the product. It's uh, 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 made by some folks up in uh, up in the Bernie area. You know, a veteran, um, and it tends to hold more soil more moisture into the soil and I think one of its best uses is going to be mixed in with a good potting soil and it'll cut down on how frequently you have to water in the summer so when you get ready to plant look for it I think it's going to be available in a lot of nurseries pretty shortly I know right now they have it at uh, uh, Rainbow Gardens I imagine we're going to get some of it this next week but Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to cut down Mm -hmm. on the maintenance of pots out on the deck it's not going to not going to stop you from having to water but you won't have to water as often and uh, it's just right. it's a simple material you just mix in with the soil. Right, right, because it does get really hot, you know, on right. the deck and lots of sun and don't want to be out there, you know, watering every day or every other day. Well, you'll be watering fairly frequently. Just do it in the morning, and it's one of the most relaxing things you can do. But uh, like I say, mm-hmm. something like the Aqualock would help, but... Uh, you can create as much of a tropical garden as you feel like you have time to maintain. And I would say you could probably right. have 30 different pots out there and have something different in each one. I mean, their foliage is like copper plants. There are sun-tolerant varieties of caladiums nowadays. The, the, the list is just incredible of all the things you can grow. You just need to spend the next couple of weeks figuring out what you would like best, and then you mm-hmm. can get out and get them planted. Well, you certainly had some very good suggestions, and I'm going to take them and uh, see what I can do. Bob, I appreciate it so much. You've taken your time with me, and I'm so thankful. And you have a very good day. You do the same. Thank you, Bob. You're welcome. All right, let's finish the show up with Katie. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. You've got about uh, three and a half minutes here, and uh, ask away. I can do that. So I have a raised garden out in Conkian, uh-huh. and um, trying to do tomatoes. And I read that you cannot replant tomatoes in the same real estate as you had the previous year. So no, I have that's that not true. What... Okay, good. I've planted tomatoes in the same spot for probably 20 years, and they do just fine. 
Okay, good. And then the second question I have for you is a few weeks ago I called and asked you about some tulips and daffodils. I was growing in some hanging baskets, and you asked me to send you a photo. I'd love to because they're gorgeous, but I can't figure out how to send you a photo. <laughs> well, call is not something I give out because we – uh, we're very busy and don't have time to look at a computer very much, but call after the show sometime and just uh, ask for Wendy, or if I'm here, I'll happily give you give you somewhere you could send it and would enjoy seeing it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, you're certainly welcome. Uh, what else can I help you with? I actually have one more question. I have a space between my garages where in the past I've grown in Bucambia and the, the plant grew really tall but never had flowers because it's pretty much stays shaded mm -hmm. from the garage. And if you had any um, suggestions for climbing vines that stay shaded, love to have some flowers if I could. Um, there are, you know, there's the, the perennial Confederate jasmine, also known as star jasmine, and it will, it will grow well in a shady area. The more light you have, the more flowers it will produce, and uh, it is certainly perennial uh, unless we get just an incredibly cold winter but ours has come back even after the winter uh, 2021 so if you want to you know just feed in a few nails a little line something like that for the vines to grow up uh, that would be a beautiful thing that would cover that wall uh, as far as annual well it's as far as other perennial vines uh, things that would freeze back you could probably grow a couple of different varieties of passion vine in there. There are a couple of those that will do well in partial shade. Annual vines are something called hyacinth bean that would be beautiful. There's something called cypress vine. These are things that will grow up and then freeze back. Um, there's another vine called butterfly vine, or mascagnia is its botanical name. Blooms with yellow flowers and then produces a seed pod that looks exactly like a green butterfly. Um, there, there are lots of things that you could put back there. Bougainville is not one of them, unfortunately, and it's certainly spectacular. Um, even tropical hibiscus will do in bright shade, but they would have to have some winter protection. So uh, um, those are lots of different choices for you. Those are great. Thank you so much. You're sure welcome, Katie, and I uh, look forward to talking again. Everybody else, stick around. Dr. Kirby will be in here very shortly because it's almost time for your pet's health here on KTSA Radio in San Antonio, Texas.